Welcome to the MLM.com podcast. I'm Nancy Tobler, your host. I'm excited today to visit with Terrell Transtrom. He is the world's leading consultant for customer service in direct selling. He is most widely known for attacking all inflection points from startup, fast growth, and even downturn. In his book, Launch Smart, Terrell shares his more than 30 years of experience in starting and running a successful direct sales company. He owns two successful seven-figure businesses and has supported more than 800 direct sales companies on six continents. In this episode, Terrell talks about his passion for customer service, and you can really hear it uh, in this podcast. He talks about his first experience working at Melaleuca in customer service and how that really set his thinking uh, over the last 30 years. He, he discusses what a company should do with complaints, and I think that's really key how you handle complaints. He talks about how to hire customer and distributor service people who are nice already, and then training them on compliance and on policies and procedures. He calls it his hearts and smarts program. He talks about training customer service on cancellation, just that one thing when someone calls in and wants to cancel. And he said, if you train them properly, you can save four out of 10 of those cancellations. And he, he he ends by talking about the power of connection and how direct selling facilitates that incredible need we have as humans to connect. Welcome, Terrell. It's so nice to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. Hi, Nancy. Good to be here. Good. Well, uh, Terrell, uh, your expertise really is in customer service and building a strong customer service program. What makes you so passionate about customer service? Nancy, uh, truly, my passion for customer service probably begins as a customer myself. Um, You know, of course, over the years, we're uh, customers, good customers, bad customers. um, And I've learned the value to me and paid attention to where my loyalty goes Uh, and the expectation I have of, of a good service experience when I give time or money or both to something that, um, that I expect back, uh, the appreciation that, and the service that I get fills certain needs that I have, uh, you know, as a human being. My career in customer service began uh, as I left a law practice, uh, of all things, we had one of our clients was a company called Melaleuca, Oh, and okay. the, CEO, the CEO of Melaleuca, Frank Vandersloot, right. invited right. me to leave the law practice and come work at his side when there were 25 employees and a couple thousand distributors and customers at Melaleuca. Wow. And uh, that was where my career in direct sales began. And more specifically, my exposure to the value of customer service particularly in direct sales. When I arrived at my job, and you can imagine my wife, Charlotte, said, uh, you want to leave a law practice to go do what? And I explained (laughs) to her that the entrepreneurial opportunity was to uh, put aside the, the law practice and focus on helping to build a company. And I was still a little lost myself into what I would really be asked to do at the company because I didn't have any corporate experience. But the CEO, uh, who's now my billionaire mentor, uh, 
or who's now a billionaire, and he was my my he was my mentor at Melaleuca. He said, Terrell, your job is to keep our customers and distributors happy. And uh, that that just really rang a bell for me because what that became was the the, the core deliverable, happy customers and, and happy distributors. And over the years, by the way, Nancy, I have uh, struggled with the chicken egg theory, which comes first, a happy distributor that goes and finds customers or happy customers uh, that are evidence that uh, a distributor can be successful because the company does such a good job of keeping the customers happy. Yeah, that, and, yeah that's, that's good. It's, it's a conundrum, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you're yeah. right on, right? Which is it? And I think a number of companies take the position, and I've, I've experienced this over the years, that we hire or we pay independent distributors to find and take care of their customers. So what we do is we fulfill products and we make commission payments, and the service that they give to customers is up to them. You know, right. We'd like them to be, we'd like them to be good to their customers. I found at Melaleuca, which was sort of the, well, it was very much the cornerstone of my career, was that the company took ownership of both. And so the part of that conundrum has been, do we call it customer service or do we call it distributor service or distributor support or rep support? And really it's both. There are right. two distinct functions in a direct selling company. Right. Um, but the, the passion, the, back to your question about why I'm so passionate, I have found that it is actually a differentiator for the companies that, that grow rapidly and that, that have better retention rates across the board uh, are the ones that have an understanding that people come to their company because they want something better, a better product, a better product experience, a better opportunity to, to, to participate in a home-based business, and when they feel as though they are valued and the service that they get from the company at all levels uh, make, I think, the enormous difference between short-term uh, participation and long-term participation. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think it's fascinating, right, that uh, the, uh, this duality, right, that you uh, really are expecting your distributors to do customer service, but you almost need to model it for them. You need to be giving them good customer service so they in turn see what they should be doing with their customers. But I think you can also be more direct and offer your distributors some customer service training, uh, strategies, those kinds of things. Well, yeah. it's, it's true. And as we, as we look at the service experience through the eyes of the customer and the eyes of the distributor, um, it's it, really, it's pretty easy to see the hurdles that they encounter, which are controlled by and, and, and quite often created by the company, uh, because even a distributor in their very best moments have their hands tied by certain systems or policies right. or the ways that a company administers a policy. And so the company has to be the leader in a service-oriented environment, you know, to make sure that the customers are taken care of. Whether it, And the way I like to look at it is whether we have customer service agents in a call center 
or a, a contact center, which by the way, one of my secrets uh, over the years has been to put on a headset and just listen to the calls, right. listen to the people, read the emails and sit next to a customer service agent and ask them what's broken, what's not working, what are you hearing, what are the complaints that are coming in. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite amazed sometimes at the look on a CEO's face when they say, boy, you are brilliant. I say, no, I, I, you are brilliant with all this information you brought to me. Uh, I say, no, I'm just I just listened and asked your customer service agents what they were hearing and, and what they think needs to be fixed and how they would fix it. Uh, yeah. When a company will commit to that, uh, to giving the field and the frontline reps, the, the training that they need, the, the processes and systems that support a great experience in the field, uh, that's how the company can contribute at a minimum to that service experience. Yeah. So you, you hit on something I wanted to ask, which is, uh, how do you feel about complaints? What do you, what do you do with complaints in a company? Oh, I love, I love that you're asking that question. And we, we love complaints. That's the essence of my business. I get, I, I get not only, um, the, the joy in my work comes from deeply understanding uh, what's happening, you know, the, the, both the ineffectiveness of, of an operation uh, and the, the defects, if you will, in the outputs and the things that are going wrong. And the only way I can identify those quickly is to listen to complaints. And it's sort of like the human body, you know, it will complain if there's through, through pain and, and discomfort, it will let you know if there's something wrong somewhere in your body. And that's much how a company is. Right. And so we, we listen to the complaints. Uh, and we also listen for things that are not being said. Some people will yeah. simply not speak up because they, 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 they don't feel heard or they don't think it'll make a difference. Make a difference. Right. Um, but complaints, are, that's, the, that's the breakfast of champions in, in our world, are, are hearing the complaints and the input. Yeah, I once uh, did an analysis of a call center, direct selling company's call center. Uh, in, in my graduate work, I did that as a research study. It, uh, another level maybe that you may or may not work with is those customer service agents all said to me, I hope I don't get a bad call. And I, they didn't. They didn't get bad calls. Uh, there were uh, maybe out of the 200 calls I listened to, I heard two, Right. But it was so draining emotionally to those customer service reps to hear someone go off the rails. That's what they meant by a bad call. We had a lot of swearing in the one I listened to. And going off the rails was what they considered a bad call. And I thought, you know, companies need to take care of their customer service people uh, and help them uh, know how to handle that kind of situation. Do customer service within your own company kind of thing. Oh, Nancy, you couldn't be more right. Um, we're in the process of releasing our next uh, generation of online training for customer service agents. It started out as, um, I, I called it, our, the, the working name on our workbench is Hearts and Smarts, where we've, I've learned that in the selection of customer service reps, uh, there's so much that we can train them. And one of the things we don't focus on training is training how to be nice because we hire nice people. Yeah. Um, 
and, and that's the heart's part of the, the formula is it, it's difficult to teach somebody how to care. Right. But when you find in the selection um, somebody who cares, and then you combine that with the not only emotional capabilities, but the acuity, the mental acuity, and that's, that's when we call it smarts, the ability to add numbers and to reason and to think logically and to understand policies. And not just that we have a policy and therefore, no, we won't do that, but the reason for the policy. So we can decide if we can work around this to get you where you need to be right. and bundle you back up as a, as a caller. Uh, and that is, that is a way that a company can take care of their customer service agents is to give yeah. them the tools and the insights uh, and skills to be able to apply um, the formulas that we know work in, in even the most difficult call situations. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, think, yeah, I think you're right. I think if we take care of our employees, our employees take care of customers and or distributors and distributors take care of customers. I think it's a, it creates a culture of, of helpfulness, a culture of unity, a culture of connection, right? All of those kinds of things are difficult to put your finger on exactly how that happened, but you can see it when it's not there. And you when can, it's not there. Yeah. You're so right. <laughs> Nancy, we, in fact, the, this last round of evaluating what I've learned over the years from training customer service agents, um, we focused heavily and we still do on formulas like how to handle a cancellation request. We've learned right. that you can actually save as many as four in 10 cancellation requests for, I want to cancel my auto ship, it, the, the call or the email might come in. And there are three possible outcomes and four steps, which if you follow, uh, will save as many as four in 10 of those requests. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's been our focus for the, over the years, but, there's a new, a whole new um, revival of my depth of understanding about the customer service agent. And that is to help them get to where when they come to work every day to do their work of customer service, that it's fulfilling a greater purpose for them, not just their paycheck, but they begin to realize, and I want them, if I had a message for the customer service agents, um, not only in direct sales, but around the world, that is that the work of customer service is the opportunity to practice skills that help you to live a better life, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. When, when you take those tough calls and you, you tackle those with confidence and you see them through a certain lens, which is the lens of this is an opportunity for me to practice some skills that will make me both um, a better person, a better service giver, a stronger individual, but more than that, to build a better life for myself, not only through the development, the maturing of those skills, but also more value in what they can um, command for their as pay, uh, as advancement opportunities. So I have found that as we add that to our approach, to the selection and development of, of having a win every day, for example, um, and, and in, in picking areas uh, of skill development, that are, that's one of the best investments a company can make is to help that agent 
move from a member of a mop and bucket crew, always cleaning up messes, right, to part of a solution uh, driven team where those complaints come in, we look at them, we break them down and we say, let's get to the root of this problem so that it doesn't keep happening. That's, that's the secret. What I've just described. Right. I think you're right. Right. If I am taking complaints and I look at those and pass that information on up to the company, then I ought to see some changes to policy or some recommendations on how to handle that. And having the empowerment as a customer service agent to make suggestions, I think, is a powerful way to treat those customer service agents. Well, it is. And Nancy, can I, may I add um, uh, an insight to that? Because when those complaints come in, it's really interesting. Most departments don't want to hear that. They don't, they, they, they say, well, your job over in customer service is to answer those complaints. Don't, don't bring those complaints to us. It was really interesting. And the real brilliance of my first, uh, my mentor, again, I'll go back to, to my billionaire mentor. The real brilliance of the relationship I had there was that it, even though we were a very small company at the time, he said, okay, Terrell, your job is to keep our customers and distributors happy. And the next part of that formula that I didn't share earlier was that to help you do this, I'm going to do two very distinct things. One is you will report directly to me, the CEO, because I don't want any filters between what's going on in the field and what the CEO is aware of. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, you will be as the, uh, the head of customer service, you will actually be the highest ranking executive on my management team because everybody in in the management team needs to know that their job is to keep you happy because your job is to keep our customers happy. And it was a unique framework that I've never seen since, but um, he had me sit symbolically, had me sit at his right hand at executive meetings. Yeah. And uh, rank and title also reflected, uh, you know, uh, when I first was hired, I was the first director, director level position in that small company. And when he hired another director, I was immediately advanced to senior director. And when he started moving people into senior directors, I was, a, I was the first vice president uh, at the company to ever be a vice president. Um, and he, he implemented that mindset so that the complaints and the observations and the recommendations that we were able to draw from in the customer service organization would find their ways uh, meaningfully, uh, you know, into the other organizations who would, who became, and it's not a new concept, you know, it's the, the, the whole source of constant improvement. Right. But, but, the, but that's a very practical description of what worked and, um, why I view the role of customer service as being so essential, not only because of its effects uh, on, on the field and, and happier customers and distributors who will stay with you longer and buy more products, but also the overall health of a, of a company that quickly grew to $250 million in annual revenues at the time that I departed. Uh, and they're now operating close to $3 billion a year yeah. uh, by following those fundamentals. 
Yeah, he's done some fascinating things over the years to keep that company on a steady incline. Just it just year after year after year, uh, they've increased. Uh, yes. Yeah. So let's talk about you're you're coming into a company. You're going to help them build this customer service program. What are those key things you always look for uh, to help a company with? Nancy, that that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I start with, I start with a blueprint that has just evolved over the years, but it's a very comprehensive blueprint that if, if you picture a Venn diagram, the Venn diagram consists of three elements. There's the, the purpose, both of the department, which should align with the purpose of the company. I mean, in every company mission statement, whether explicitly stated or typically more implicitly stated is the recognition that a customer and a distributor uh, wants something better for themselves. So that, so that's implicit in the company's mission statement, no matter how it's expressed. And, and the, if the role or the, the mission of the customer service department is to support that fulfillment, in other words, to do their part to, to create happy customers and distributors, then the work that we that we do it focuses on the alignment of that mission with how the company is operating. And so, um, one of the areas that we have learned to do, um, which is consistent with ongoing improvement, continuous improvement, is to focus on incremental gains marginal improvements as often as we can. And that's another reason that I like complaints so much, because if you're listening to what the problems are and you're prioritizing both because of the volume as well as the possible impact of those complaints and problems, uh, and you tackle those one at a time, those become incremental improvements that, that lead to not only a environment and a culture that embraces positively, you know, the opportunities to get better each day. So on that basic premise, um, and, and by the way, whether we're brought in to launch a new company or to support a company that's in fast growth or to help a company respond to a downturn, uh, I always head for the customer service area to get a feel of the pulse. And, yeah. and the things that we look at, there, there are five areas that I might help our listeners to focus on uh, because it's the five that we follow in our framework. But it begins with a look at the, the customer service blueprint, the first part of the Venn diagram being purpose and the, the alignment of the company and particularly customer service with that purpose, uh, which will drive the selection of the next part of the Venn diagram, which is people the people that are out, that are in customer service. And to that, I say you are either working directly with a customer or distributor, uh, or you're supporting somebody who is. And so in that regard, the, the selection and development of the people and the practices there. Then the third are the processes, processes that are guided by the purpose and that are a function of the people um, who you have in your company. So on those three areas, we have a framework, uh, a blueprint, 
for the customer service operation. So that's the first area that we look at is how well does that operation reflect um, that framework? And then we go through a variety of areas within the operation to see how they align with best practices as we see them. And, um, and typically we find that, that companies are anywhere from 60 to 80% aligned with our framework. So then we focus on those areas of incremental improvement. So I would say, if I were to say that the, the five areas or the five elements of a review, and we do it, we do it's called a service quest review. The five elements are, first of all, that, um, that organization through, through our outside eyes of best practices. Uh, the field experience. We listen carefully to what the field thinks and says is going on. Yeah. Um, and, and translate that into our observations and recommendations. Um, and I share these with you because our listeners can immediately organize themselves around these principles and these elements. Um, and, and, and if you will do as I'm recommending, it, it'll save a lot of learning curve. Um, a third area is the compliance aspect. Um, yeah. If we have a moment, I'll, I'd like you to come back to compliance, but uh, we look at compliance, which is everything from the field's compliance and earnings claims and product claims to the administration of policies and procedures by the customer service organization. Uh, number four is technology and, and how it's being used for the field experience and, and including how the agents track calls, um, quantify complaints, organize them for evaluation, you know, as we've been talking about. And then the last area are metrics, believe it or not. There's um, data is king when it yeah, comes to good management and the right data in the service operation and the, the, those areas that feed into customer service. Um, so those are the five areas. So to recap, the, the service organization, the field experience through their eyes, uh, compliance, technology, and metrics. Yeah. Well, we have just a few minutes left. Why don't you go back to compliance? Why is that so tricky to do for a company? It, it's, it is, it's been a moving target over the years. My background as a lawyer, I learned some of the fundamentals of regulation and how it works. And so I've taken an interest over the years in how the regulators look at compliance, but how I've always started my approach to compliance is the training of customer service reps and how they interpret and apply or administer the, the policies and procedures. There, there's a trick, if you will, or not a trick, but a secret that I learned in my law school training. In fact, I'll share it with you briefly. There's a method in first year law school in, in all the accredited schools called IRAC, I-R-A-C. It's an acronym for Issue, Rule, Analysis, Conclusion. And my first year contracts professor was assigned to teach that to our group. And it's the way that you read a law case. What's the right. issue right. that's before the court? Uh, and, and as a journalist, Nancy, you know all about this, uh, uh, this, this basic approach. What's the rule of law or R? What's the rule of law that applies in this case or the different rules? Um, analysis is or when apply the facts in the case and, uh, and analyze against the rule and reach a conclusion. What's IRAC? Yeah. And we've adapted that methodology to 
um, policy administration issue policy analysis conclusion uh, in same fashion in a simplified way uh, and we train this to our customer service uh, teams and when we add one element which is really the secret and that is help understand why the policy exists right whether the policy is a policy that says one distributor per household well if you understand why that exists then the result is no matter which customer service rep you get to answer that question, they all come up with the same answer because they understand why we have the policy right? and whether an exception uh, is made or can be made or should be made. The other, the other part of compliance is the current environment where most recently um, in, in its, continuing, its continuing work of regulation, the Federal Trade Commission sent uh, notification letters right. to hundreds of companies. Yeah, and there's a there's a particular footnote in that in that letter, by the way, that gives it's footnote seven that gives um, a target for us to start to work towards hitting, which is to go approach the uh, without getting into the details. Basically, how we approach both the use of disclaimers and the transparency of our income disclosure statements. Uh, along with research that would establish um, uh, evidence that the net impact of the of what's being said was not deceptive to the person in getting them uh, interested in joining the company. And yeah. so we do we 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 encourage research. We do the research around that. Uh, we we teach our clients how to do that research, and that's such an important part anymore of the field experience and the service um, area that it's, it's something that we focus on and, and encourage our clients to look heavily at. Yeah, that, that uh, yeah, that's fascinating, right? I was thinking back to your comment where you train customer service. It not only helps them in their job and customer service, but it helps them in life. And I was thinking about this, being able to explain why a policy exists is good parenting, <laughs> just right. That's one of the things I had to learn is I couldn't just lay down a law. I had two smarter kids. They're like, why is that the rule? And I'd say, well, uh, let's think through it. Shall we? Right. Let's, let's yeah. walk through what would happen if we didn't do this. So uh, yeah, I think, I think you hit right on it. Well, we're just about out of time, but I've been asking everyone, how do you think COVID has influenced direct selling companies? First of all, I, I come at that. Thank you. That, that's such a great question. I come at it attending the, the annual meeting of the Direct Selling Association and interacting with company owners and other providers of services that, that we associate with and getting a feel. And, and, you know, aside from the obvious impacts on both, you know, business in general, I think that COVID has crystallized a lot of thinking for people, not only at the, at the corporate level and the business leader level, but I was delighted to learn that the statistics bear out what I, what I was hoping we would see. There was a good report put on by the DSA at their meeting that talked about the, the comparative um, attitudes of direct sellers and gig workers. Yeah. And the strength of both that are coming up and there is direct selling as big as day doing as well as it's ever done. In fact, 
the world of direct sales is up um, and the trend is real strong. It's not over the top, which um, I'm actually glad to see because yeah. I think it reflects though that the reality of people who say, well, this is a good time for me to supplement my income with, with a new type of work. Right. Uh, certainly people who are shopping as consumers are pushed over the edge of maybe not having to go to the, you know, to the retail stores is working okay for me. Uh, the trust level seems to be up on yeah. if I may, if I purchase, make a purchase and, it, and it's not what I thought it was, or I changed my mind, I can make a return. And the good companies from a customer service perspective have healthy policies that are fair to both the consumer and to the company. Yeah. Um, so I think COVID has, has crystallized so many areas like that. Yeah. I think you, you. I think you really hit on something here that I hadn't thought of. I've, I've got my COVID theory I'm working on, right? And one of the things you just said there, which of course comes out of your background, is that customers are learning to trust this e-commerce sort of purchasing, and they're be- because they know they can return, right? That that policies, as you say, and compliance will be such that it is fair. It's fair. I can return it, hopefully, right, as you say, in a way that the company can still use it. But I think you really hit on something that was key, that COVID forced us into buying more online. We couldn't leave the home, right? But it nudged that we all took. We gained a new level of trust, I think. I think you really hit on something there. And I think as humans, we, we desire that connection. Yeah, I think um, so too. I, so many of us miss, you know, sh- shopping. Uh, it, uh, I have to do a triple take if I see somebody I think I know under their mask when I'm at yeah. the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's amazing how we go to a, you know, to a club store and see friends. And there's that social part, much of which um, has been supplemented with like what we're doing now on a Zoom call right, or a, right. uh, where we can at least interact. Two of the companies that I've that we've both launched and I've observed over the, over through the COVID period have done remarkably well by building on the kind of the reality that uh, somebody you know a mother will put the babies to bed, tidy up the house, and then jump on a FaceTime call or a, um, a Zoom meeting or a even a, even a um, social media call to look in on a virtual party or to just be with friends to talk about a product. I think that the, I think that they let down their guard a little bit because it, first of all, it's, it's easy to access. Uh, second, they will still show up and support friends. Yeah. Um, but more than that, in fact, one that's done really well is a company is they, they call themselves Bomb Party. Uh, they have these this little virtual experience of re- it's a reveal of jewelry, oh, and huh. it's, it's it's interesting, it's fun, it's, it's it, it resolves that same night. You're the same, you know, everything, just, it, and it's gone through the roof in terms of participation. Because I think it fills a social need that that also still needs to be filled. Yep, absolutely. I don't don't think COVID has moved us. COVID has helped to to, to identify other ways to be more 
to fulfill our social and our interaction needs. Yeah. Yeah. Interaction is powerful. Uh, I've always said it, right? Interaction matters. It's through interaction that we learn new material. It's through interaction that we feel valued as a human. It's crucial, right? And we're learning that we can still interact via technology and those connections. So I want to thank you, Terrell. This has been a delight. We have just had a, a ton of great information from you and I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. I'm glad that you're back in uh, doing what you do so well. Oh, thank you. I, I was delighted when you reached out. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, I look forward to our continued work together. And I, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining the MLM.com podcast. I want to thank Leroy Ball for his help on the sound and Kelsey Ball for her help on the editing and setup for the podcast. This has been the MLM.com podcast, bringing you information and insight into the direct selling industry. Join us again next time.